0: trying to shoot the moon, using everything we've got that's just pieces of a spoon. Ooh. Ooh. Welcome to The Word Witch, a podcast for the modern magical soul. Exploring tarot, astrology, belief, and more From a queer witch, that's me, in conversation with folks making magic from the margins. I'm your host, Claire Burgess. Let's make some magic! Hello friends, witches, otherlings, and welcome to a new episode of the Word Witch Podcast. Uh, Today, we have a very special interview with Harvey James of Harvey James Tarot, uh, in which we get super brainy and air-signy and cerebral about tarot, and then Harvey shares a really special announcement about their tarot deck. Uh, so you absolutely want to listen to that. But first, oh hey, guess what? The holiday season is upon us. Uh, New Year's, at least as we judge it, using the Gregorian calendar, is right around the corner, and that means year-ahead readings. I will be offering a limited number of Uh, New Year's readings or year ahead readings this season. In these readings, we look at what you've learned over the past year, what you have in front of you in the year to come, and how to bridge, how to bridge the present moment and the past year and everything you've learned into the future and the path that you're proceeding down next year. Because it's not like when the new year happens, we just sort of roll over and press reset. And then it's all anew. No, it's not like we just like cleanly end things on December 31st and then wait, December 30th. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, January 1st, we have all new things, all new projects, all new life, all new relationships. No, (laughs) things carry over right? We're in a constant progression. So we look at that. We look at that bridge of what we're carrying over from the past year into the new year when um, we do these year ahead readings or in the way that I like to do these year ahead readings. So again, I'll be offering a limited number of these that I'll be doing either uh, here in Portland in person or over Zoom, which is video chat or the phone. And I'll probably open up some email ones as well. But there's only going to be a few, y'all. These are really time consuming, especially the email ones. It takes me a longer time to write something than it does to say it. (laughs) And I put a lot of time and and energy and investment into these in order to give y'all the best, best, absolute best reading possible. So I wish I wish that I could do them for all of you. And I can't. So get on them. So I'm going to be opening these up for my Patreon members first. They will have first dibs, first opportunities to book um, these year-ahead readings with me. And they will also have a discount code, that's right, (laughs) for my beloved, beloved Patreon members who are the people that support this podcast and make it so that, um, I can edit it and it sounds nice (laughs) and I can, you know, have some compensation for my time and labor. I appreciate you all so much. I love you all so much. So you get first dibs and, um, I'll be posting a coupon code for y'all to use as Patreon members. And then after my Patreon folks have had access for a few days then I'll open it up to everyone. And you know, I haven't quite decided how many of these I'm going to have time for. I will make that decision, obviously, before I open it up for booking. And yeah, that's probably something that I should have figured out before I decided to do this promo spot. But you know what? I also probably should have done that before I had a cold and was losing my voice. So (laughs) here we are now doing this. So if this sounds like something you'd be into, keep your eyes peeled. Consider joining my Patreon for early access and for that coupon code. You can join up on my Patreon for just a dollar a month um, at patreon.com slash the word tarot. Otherwise, keep those peepers open. I'll be posting that announcement sometime in the first week of December. And with no further ado, here's your astrology update in a voice that is suddenly much less hoarse than this one. Magic. The astrology for the next two weeks uh, looks like this. We've got a bunch of Scorpio coming back. Um, Last two weeks were a lot about Sagittarius, and now we're dipping our toes back into some Scorpio action. There are going to be, you know, some transits that feel a little bit um, uh, uh, aggressive, um, uh, a little bit uh, can trigger some tempers maybe. So that's super fun. (laughs) Some feelings of um, confusion, some feelings of dissatisfaction. And all that's leading up to the new moon in Sagittarius on December 6th and 7th, which is going to be an interesting one. So I know nobody likes to hear, oh, the next two weeks aren't going to be so easy. But in the interest of honesty, the next two weeks aren't going to be so easy. It's not awful. It's not end of the world. It's really not that bad. Like we can get through this just fine. I think we're just going to need some patience. And, you know, I, I have to say, like, my my process of reading astrology is part uh, brainy, obsessive research, logic and reason, pattern recognition, researcher stuff, but then it's also part intuitive. So, like, you know, I do the work, I write down what I see, and then at the end, I, like, don't necessarily throw that all out, but just kind of go with what my gut's telling me. <laughs> And my intuition is telling me that the next two weeks are just going to feel kind of itchy, kind of itchy, kind of tense, might be some feelings of self-doubt and a desire to prove ourselves or an urge to have some sort of external validation in order to remind us that we're doing good. So let's look at what's in store first coming up this Friday, November 30th, we have a Venus opposition to Uranus. This opposition is probably going to bring up some um desire for independence. Venus, the planet of relationships, opposite Uranus, the planet of change and revolution and innovation and shaking shit up. There's going to be like that's part of that itchiness that I mentioned. Um this itch for independence, this desire to possibly like assert ourselves and our individuality in our relationships. So that is important. It's important to be individuals in relationships, right? But uh, with this opposition, it might make things a little bit unstable, a little bit rebellious, and that needs to be navigated correctly, right? So this isn't, this doesn't mean that you're going to suddenly like, you know, break up with your girlfriend because Uranus, not Uranus, (laughs) because Uranus told you to, no. Instead, it just means like, you know, there's some potential for some clashes of, of wills, possibly some clashes of identity there. Alternately... Uh, This could be an exciting time to mix some things up and try something new. Uh, That's one way that this Venus-Uranus opposition could be channeled in a healthy way with some experimentation, with some um, willingness to change and bend and get a little flexible. Also watch your wallet. (laughs) Venus also rules finances, not just relationships. And so when we uh, are coming up against the planet of change and surprises, that can mean impulse buys, Mm, maybe uh, getting scammed. So, you know, on November 30th, just like think, wait 24 hours between before you whip out that credit card. All right. So next on Saturday, December 1st, uh, Mercury retrograde uh, is moving backwards into Scorpio again. So uh, it only recently moved out of Scorpio in its direct motion, and now it's sliding on back in. Uh, So this is a movement from Sagittarius, uh, where Mercury has been. Uh, Sagittarius is, uh, as we talked about last week, about expanding the mind through uh, philosophy, religion, ideas. And Sagittarius always wants to pursue wisdom, pursue internal wisdom through those external, unfamiliar new things, through that exploration. Scorpio, though, is the other side of that coin, Scorpio wants to, uh, extends really internal interest. Interest into the, uh, our, our insides wants to penetrate to the core of ourselves and really deeply understand our own mysteries. Um, so while Sagittarius has that like internal wisdom through external exploration, Scorpio's just like sort of cuts, cuts the external part of it out and dives straight into the murky depths along with it being retrograde, which is always about turning inwards, is always about review and reassessment, this movement could be a really um, good time, a really useful time to take that internal inventory, to take what things Mercury's maybe picked up by its time in Sagittarius so far and use those to turn that lens back inwards with Scorpio and really get deep. Um, We can learn a lot with this transit. But that doesn't mean it ain't hard. <laughs> and then on the heels of uh, Mercury moving backwards into Scorpio, we have Venus moving back forwards into Scorpio. So if you can imagine like Scorpio as a football field, from one end, uh, we have Mercury moving backwards into it. And from the other opposite end, the other goalpost, we have Venus moving forward into it. I have no idea why I'm using a football field metaphor because. I don't sports, but (laughs) Um, we have this like interesting movement back into Scorpio from both sides. One planet going direct, one planet retrograde, and Venus only recently exited its retrograde. Um, It was retrograde in Scorpio for a big chunk of the fall before moving backwards into Libra, where it is now, as I'm speaking, and where it's stationed direct. And so now it is moving forward again through that Libra rain back into Scorpio. And whenever we have a planet sort of re, like revisiting the path in the sky that they have already crossed, right? It already went over this part when it was, uh, well, twice already, when it was moving forward before its retrograde. Now, again, during its retrograde, and now a third time as it moves back. Whenever this happen, happens, we're like possibly re-reviewing some things that have been coming up in that span of weeks, pre-retrograde and then retrograde and then now. So things might be cropping up again that you've been dealing with over the Venus retrograde. And if you were like me, some of that stuff was some really hard, dark shit. So I think that it's important to remind ourselves that It is important to be gentle with ourselves during this time, gentle with ourselves, generous with ourselves, but also to look at the shit, right? And Venus and Scorpio, along with Mercury and Scorpio, definitely will look at the shit. (laughs) Maybe get obsessive about it. Scorpio wants the real thing. Scorpio is not interested in anything surface, anything superficial. It will not settle for anything less than, like, deep, passionate, real, like, no bullshit, all-consuming... Whatever, whatever it is. (laughs) But we're also retreading this ground again. So hopefully, at this point, we can take those lessons that were revealed to us during the Venus retrograde over the fall, and along with a dose of that, like Libra discernment that we just picked up from Venus's time in Libra, we can move forward and put uh, into action the lessons that we have learned. If these things crop up again that we have been facing, um, struggling with over the fall, hopefully now we have the discernment and the vision and the deep understanding of those things within ourselves so that we can see them, face them, and then do what we need to do in a healthy way to deal with them and to move forward. Not letting it like pull us down and drown us anymore, but acknowledging it saying, okay, thank you. I see you. I know what to do with you now. (laughs) And then doing the thing, do the thing. Same day as Venus moves into Scorpio, um, there is a Sun square Mars. And that aspect can bring up a lot of uh, aggression, some quick tempers, but really also ego conflicts. So that's something to also be aware of. As this Scorpio movement is happening, soon after that, we have this Sun Mars square. And so that can make tempers flare. That can, I'm thinking here, possibly with everything going on, it can sort of trigger the ego in a way that makes us feel the need to assert ourselves because of a base of feeling, a base of self-consciousness or lack of confidence. When we're putting all this stuff into action that we've learned, when we're doing new things, when we're facing our shadows and our traumas. Um, when we are changing, sometimes that comes with some lapses in confidence, right? We start to doubt. So I'm thinking that this sun square Mars could sort of like pull those threads, pluck those threads and result in us overcompensating in a big way. So (laughs) it'll be important uh, around December 2nd to, if we feel this big need to like aggressively over-assert ourselves, stay calm, step back, try to get a good view of what's going on, but also be assertive because when we have aspects like this happen, it doesn't mean that we're always the ones that are being the aggro dickheads. <laughs> Sometimes people are doing that to us. And if somebody else is getting all aggro with you, you gotta, you know, be assertive. You gotta stand your ground and not let your boundaries get pushed. So the key to all this is just staying calm and trying to have some perspective as we're navigating this. And then thankfully, the next day, on December 3rd and 4th, Mercury retrograde in Scorpio makes a trine to Chiron and Pisces. So that's a nice aspect that can open lines of communication, um, that can uh, foster healing of old wounds through conversation with other people or through conversation with the self. Listen to your heart and let it talk to you, especially as we're retreading this Ground with like Venus and Scorpio and Mercury retrograde, and have this like these temper flare ups possible. Really important to return to that sort of gentleness and listen to ourselves. On the fifth, then kind of another wall up with the Sun square Neptune, uh, Sun square Neptune in Pisces. This could bring up some confusion and uh, again, another dip in self esteem. Um, we might feel some disillusionment or lack of faith with what we're doing, with the path that we're on. And it's important to, when this happens, know it's temporary. No, it's temporary. It is totally normal when we're, like, I mean, whatever we're doing in life, whether or not it's some big challenge or change, totally normal to have some moments where we uh, have some da- self-doubt where we lose a little bit of our faith. And it might not be because something particular has happened. might just be because we're having a day where we're like, uh, like things aren't, things don't feel good. Things aren't working out the way I want them to. I'm bored of this. <laughs> I'm tired of this. So when that happens, Know that it is temporary. That's a good time to dream and let your mind wander. But don't make don't make big decisions. You know, if you're feeling disillusioned, let your thoughts explore. Let your thoughts explore possibilities. Um, get creative. Uh, do some art. Uh, but don't make big snap decisions based on that disillusionment. Give it some time. And then finally, on December 6th, Mercury is going direct again. Hooray! (laughs) Uh, So that means that this confusion and disarray that's been happening over the past three weeks will start to lift. It'll start to lift and we might find ourselves needing or feeling the need to make, make some changes, right? Make some more changes based on the enhanced understanding that we have of what's been going on with us over this entire retrograde season. Really, the retrogrades of the summer, the Venus retrograde of the fall, now Mercury going direct. Um we have got a lot of things to integrate. As Mercury goes direct, we will have opportunities to do that. We'll start to get the clarity in the headspace again to do that and to communicate ourselves in um and to communicate ourselves with with clarity, with intention. The mental fog will start to lift. And now Mercury will still be in its, you know, what's called the shadow phase for some weeks afterwards during that time just like with Venus retreading its path some of this Mercury retrograde stuff can like still come up can still happen it's kind of like having a hangover <laughs> if like the retrograde is when we're drunk then once it goes direct and we're moving back over that terrain it's like the next day when sometimes you feel like shit and you keep remembering what you did during retrograde and you're like oh fuck <laughs> or not necessarily I guess that would be if uh if you uh, don't comport yourself well during the retrograde, which I'm sure since all of you are listening to this podcast, you're doing it well, <laughs> you're controlling your shit, right? Because you're being aware, you're being conscious and aware and intentional uh, with your actions and your thoughts as we move through this time. And then lastly, later in the day, we have a new moon in Sagittarius, uh, late um, on the night of December 6th on the uh, West Coast Pacific time, early in the morning of the 7th Eastern time. So as we've already established many times, Sagittarius is about exploration, exploration, wisdom through experience, and through education and study. So when we have a new moon in this sign, this can be a great opportunity to broaden the mind and also the spiritual bounds of ourselves, of our hearts. This new moon makes an aspect a square to Mars conjunct Neptune in Pisces. And that square can cause some friction. Like that can be, uh, that can feel a little bit not so great, but also squares are huge opportunities for observation and growth. So this new moon in Sagittarius can give us an opportunity for sort of observing our spiritual development and how we're comporting ourselves and inviting in what we need to achieve our dreams and our spiritual goals in healthy and intentional ways. There's a lot of creativity possible uh, in this new moon and that might feel really um, imaginative and that might be a really good way to sort of open up and um, experience some of those uh, spiritual possibilities. So in a way, even though this is a fire moon, there's this sort of extra sensitive and dreamy aspect to it. And and so I, I have this image of a boomerang. In my mind uh the so Sagittarius is the archer, right Sagittarius sort of like pulls the bow back and then launches the arrow that's part of that like exploration um that outward seeking, but then the square to Mars and Neptune in Pisces Pisces is a very like internal sign, a very dreamy. Um, sign that is all about sort of the imagination and and sort of spiritu- spirituality. It's a very like psychic sign. And then Neptune being there, Neptune is one of the rulers of Pisces. Um, it's conjunct Mars, which is some of that fire energy, which complicates things a little bit. But Mars and Pisces, like we talked about on episode three, is a little bit more chill. That aggression is directed more towards pursuing spiritual goals rather than pursuing like, you know, aggro outside um, external goals. And so I sort of see that that arrow of the archer sort of like flying away from us and then and then making a 180, <laughs> like curving back around and coming back at us like a boomerang. So in a way that kind of like encapsulates Sagittarius in a really interesting way, since Sag, Sag's ultimate goal is always for wisdom, um, for uh, understanding of the self and of the world, around it and attaining that wisdom through external means through exploration and like you know e- experimentation but still always that goal is for wisdom and that comes back to the self right so in a weird way i think that kind of like illustrates this like square square to neptune and mars and pisces sort of illustrates that boomerang action that sagittarius does and so as such i think that this new moon is going to be a good time to assimilate some of this some of this hard stuff that we've been moving through recently uh, it might not feel as sort of open and jubilant and and curious as a lot of Sag moons do, but it's going to be an important stepping stone, an important point to integrate what we've what we've learned over the past five months and set intentions for how we are going to use that in our futures <laughs> to be more aware, to to walk our paths with more intention and integrity. And Actually that also what I just said makes a lot of sense because this is the last new moon and the current eclipse phase that started this past summer with um the July lunar eclipse. The next new moon is going to be another eclipse. So this is our last new moon and then the full moon in December is a last full moon um before a new lunar eclipse cycle starts in Cancer and um, Capricorn. The previous ones were in Leo and Aquarius. So, this is a good time to review those past five months since the start of this eclipse phase. Like I said, a powerful moment for integration and for intention setting and for, you know, really sort of deliberately internalizing the lessons that we've learned, making the decisions to leave behind what we need to leave behind, planting the seeds of the changes that need to come. Yeah, I think that about encapsulates it. So it's going to be, it can be a difficult week, two weeks, y'all. But in the end, um, I hope, I think it's going to serve us for the best. Just remember to be gentle with yourselves through this process, but also not to close your eyes. Be aware, stay aware, receive the messages, and do what needs to be done. Do the work. That's it for the Astro update for the next two weeks. And I think it's time for my interview with Harvey James of Harvey James Tarot. I'm so excited to bring this interview to you. Harvey's popped on the podcast the past two times to share important things about their experience. So I feel like this interview has like been the most promoed one ever. (laughs) So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Harvey James. I hope all of you listeners enjoy it. Here you go. Welcome to the Word Witch. I'm your host, Claire Burgess, and I'm here today talking with Harvey James of Harvey James Tarot. Thank you so much for joining me today, Harvey. How are you? you. Thank you
1: for having me on. I'm so excited to be a part of this. (laughs) I'm I'm well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. I've I've been an admirer of your work on Instagram for, well, ever since I found your Instagram account, which must have been like Oh God, I don't even know, like eh, more than six months, maybe less than a year ago, I'm not sure, but you just put such thought-provoking stuff on there and you're creating a deck and we're going to talk about all these things as we move forward in this interview. Uh, But first, um, can you tell us a bit about how you got into tarot? What was your journey getting here to this point?
1: So first and foremost, I just want to say that I use they, them pronouns because I wanted to say that. In the, in the beginning.
0: <laughs> totally forgot to ask you to introduce yourself. I'm so sorry. Harvey, okay. first, can you introduce yourself?
1: <laughs> yes, uh, I am Harvey James. And uh, like I said, I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am a tarot reader. I am also transgender and non-binary, and I identify as queer. Um, and I sort of center my tarot practice around the idea of bringing inclusivity and accessibility into tarot. Um, and exploring like where the, the intersection is between um, queer issues and queer community and tarot community and the exploration of like the archetypes in tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do offer readings as well as post, um, just like like you said, uh, stuff about tarot, <laughs> like <laughs> I talk about the cards and how it relates to queer experience and and such.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, And so, yeah, now to the question that I tried to jump into before. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us a bit about how you got into tarot?
1: Yes. One thing that like when I was preparing for this, I thought a lot about because of your sort of introductory episode was um, when I normally like talk about how I got into tarot, I don't really think I don't really bring up like what kind of religious background I came from because I was raised without heavy religious influence, I feel like my great-grandparents were probably like the last people so far in our line to have like really heavy Christian um, involvement, like going to church and reading the Bible and stuff like that. Um, there may be stuff I don't know about, but that, that seems to be where it ends in my family line, so to speak. And and our spiritual beliefs thereafter are kind of ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, I was I was not raised in an environment that was very like anti-Christian um, Other options for spirituality. Um, but I also like our family celebrates Christmas. Like there's a little bit of what I would refer to as like compulsory Christianity. Like (laughs) um, and so as I was growing up, like I didn't have like I didn't go to church, I didn't have like a, a spiritual rock in my life. And in retrospect, what I feel like was happening was like I would explore, like I would go to like Bible study with a friend or like check out what their church was doing as like a young kid. And it's like, I feel like I was seeking spiritual like connection. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like what I really didn't understand, like being that young and not really having the connections I obviously do now, um, would be that like you can create your own church. Like you don't need to be a part of someone else's like church to have a spiritual community or spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like ultimately tarot has kind of brought me into that. But when tarot first came into my life, it was, I was so far from that space. Um, My mom's friend uh, from way back when they were younger uh, is a tarot reader. And like right now I think she's like reading tarot in New Orleans. Like she's out there like
0: doing
1: it. Um, And when I was younger, she gave me like a box set beginners type tarot thing where it has like a big book and the deck is not a Rider weight deck or anything like that. It's like designed for a beginner, like that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so intimidated by it. I was so <laughs> intimidated by it. I, my perception of the tarot at, at that point in my life, like, I don't know, being maybe like 10 years old or like maybe, maybe even just a little older, but like right in that spot was just like, this is 78 cards with 78 individual meanings that I have to memorize and then also you can reverse them like I just got so intimidated by it and um so I you know every once in a while I'd bring it out and I'd be like I like this energy I like the idea of playing around with tarot and then I would get frustrated with it and I'd put it away and then like eventually I just got rid of it I don't know probably gave it away and that makes me think like where is that out there in the universe I get esoteric thinking about who may have ended up with that um but Flash forward to about two and a half or three years ago, um, I rediscovered tarot through like kind of a weird route. Um, I'd gotten really into ASMR videos, if you oh, know what yeah. those are.
0: Yeah, for the, for the listeners, can you tell them what ASMR videos are?
1: Yeah, so it's um, a very simplified, like there's a lot, there's a lot that can be classified as ASMR, but it's like relaxing sounds or comforting sounds or, you know, like people make videos. Um, for the purpose of relaxation um, or stuff like that. Um, And so I was just kind of like looking through videos and I ended up encountering one by uh, a person on YouTube who is, their channel still exists, um, called uh, Tarot Reader ASMR. That was Mm -hmm. the name of their channel. And I was like, okay, this, like, okay, I can get with that energy, (laughs) sure. And um, they were using the tarot of the new vision And they had like this whole setup and they were like running this like paintbrush over the cards and it was like the most like entrancing like relaxing thing and I was just so into it and then the card that they chose for this like general video reading that I just happened to stumble upon um, was the high priestess and like in retrospect that blows my mind because like if there was any um, card to introduce me to tarot to like invigorate my desire to get engaged with tarot it would be the high priestess, right? Like uh-huh. I just, that was my mind. But at the, at the time, I didn't know, have any knowledge of it. I was just so, so interested in it. It was so beautiful. Um, and I had this sort of realization that I tend to have, which is when I get interested in something, I have a small window of time before that interest will leave me or I will get frustrated <laughs> with it. And uh-huh. I was like, I know I tried to learn tarot before and it didn't work out. And so I was like, I need to get a deck and start learning immediately or
0: mm-hmm. it's not going to stay.
1: And so in the time that I was waiting to have a ride to a Barnes and Noble to go get a tarot deck, (laughs) I literally went on YouTube and just searched like tarot and was just looking at videos. And literally, I think if you do it now, it might be one of the first videos that comes up. Uh, There's a set of videos by some guy named Ben Lucas. I have no idea who he is. I don't propose to have any, like, I I don't know anything else about anything else he's ever done. Um, but I do know that he put these two videos out there called learn the tarot, the 78 tarot cards in two hours. And I was like, wow. that sounds great. I'd love sounds. that. <laughs> um, and I started watching it. And the reason why I mentioned it, it was the first time that I ever encountered the idea that the major arcana cards were related to the minor arcana cards that shared that number. Yes. And that blew it wide wow. open for me because up until then I had, I had this idea that tarot was just like a bunch of cards that meant different things that were separated and had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with each other. And once I learned that there was like a connection, I was, it was so much more accessible to me. And I thought like, this is something that I wish, like, as I started learning more, I thought like, I feel like everybody needs to know that immediately when they start learning it. Cause that's, that was the barrier to my knowledge and I don't want it to be a barrier to anybody else. And then like that sort of transformed into this like focus I started developing with like what do you like, how can I bring these things that I'm learning to other people? And that's why I started to kind of like bring things publicly and like make an Instagram and, and post stuff. Um, but yeah, so I ended up going to Barnes and Noble and getting a mini radiant rider weight, which I still have here. Um, and Uh I, I, learned off of that deck and like literally like within a, a couple months, I was buying the Fountain Tarot, I was buying the Centennial like Smith Rider weightight edition. Um, and that's when it really took off. And then I would say that about a year out from that, I was doing my first um, gender and tarot workshop at like a local metaphysical shop. Um, and that's about when I started looking at like creating my deck. Um, and illustrating that so like if there's any lesson than that I would say like when you know when you're devoting all that time and energy to something don't let imposter syndrome get in the way because I spent Mm -hmm. so much time and energy learning stuff about tarot and I was like not wanting to talk about how long I had been doing tarot because I'd only been doing tarot for a year Mm -hmm. and of course I've learned a lot since then but like I did a lot of work on it. Like time is not everything. Yeah. I will say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's so, you just said so many things in that, that I just wish that I could like roll back the clock and like ask you to dig in more on Um, like what you said about um, creating our own communities, you know, not having to like um, um, have like a built in religious community or spiritual community and, the ability to create our own, fuck yes, amazing, awesome. Um, Is that something that you feel like you have found now with tarot?
1: Yeah, um, I think that like, when I started working with tarot, like I was living far, far away from a lot of the people who I consider to be my closest friends. And of those friends, I had very few who identified as queer. And I still today kind of live in that perpetual state of like being isolated physically from people who both read tarot and are queer or one or the other. And so I think like, I've really had to relearn through the experience of sharing things online and interacting with people through the tarot community that like, physical location isn't everything like physically being able to meet up with people is great, but like, I've learned so much and connected so deeply with so many people through, like, my tarot journey that, like, I never would have imagined that this would bring me to that place. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's really
1: been a great strength. I mean, like, even in regards to, like, I, oh, God, I mean, it's just a couple months now. I've lost track of time. I don't know how. But a couple (laughs) months ago, I had top surgery. um, And I it was only possible that I was able to do that because of the community that I developed. Like I had no expectations for receiving any sort of financial support for that. And yet, like when I posted, like, I'm so close, but I don't think I'm going to make it like overnight. I had people buying readings to like, to help me out. And that was the most like amazing thing. Like I think that moment really woke me up to like how, how this thing that I had viewed as like, a side project had like become something very integral to my sense of like community, both Mm -hmm. with queer people and with other tarot readers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And don't you think that for a lot of us, uh, like a lot of us are probably in the same or similar situation being like, feeling like we're isolated. Um, I'm fortunate to not be in that because I live in Portland, Oregon, but before (laughs) when I lived in like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, before this, it was, it was certainly like that. And it took me four years. Um, like I think I said, in the first, um, uh, podcast took me like four years of living there to find any sort of community. So Mm -hmm. like, I think that's a very common experience. Like there must be a ton of us who are interested in tarot or who are queer or who are, you know, wanting to explore like these different sort of spiritual paths that like we're creating this, online like in virtual reality (laughs) instead of in in physical spaces
1: right and I think that's part of like my goal with my website because when I first started my website it was just like a way to streamline purchasing a reading because I had been using all sorts of other platforms I'd been like trying to sell readings through Patreon and I've been having all this trouble with like streamlining that process Um, but then I realized like I can post blog entries here I can like I found this Exercise that a trans terror reader had posted online um, about like looking at the court and and talking about like gender in the court cards, and I was like, "This is an excellent exercise. I'm gonna link to it on the website." And so like now I have this whole place for like reader resources, and I like added a place with like resources for allies that has like the trans lifeline number or mm-hmm. like like basic information about pronouns and things like that. Where it was like, I wanted to create kind of a hub um, for a bunch of different things in one place because I didn't want it to just be a place to go buy a reading. I wanted it to be a place that you could feel like you were a part of a group of people who were all interacting and learning things. so, yeah, I think that was one of the things that I, again, like I didn't expect to come out of this was like this sense of like community building that I just, I didn't have any anticipation for. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And, and want to give us the, uh, the address of your website while we're on that topic?
1: Yes, it is harveyjamestarot.com. And then just to kind of sister site, I guess would be patreon.com slash hj tarot would be my Patreon, which is like another sort of community central, or at least it's trying to be, I, I just started it not that long ago. So it's, it's still a small movie, but, but yeah.
0: I'm a patron. <laughs> join, everyone join. Um, yeah. Um, oh gosh, I feel like there was something else in what you were saying. Oh, I remember now. Um, another side question. You're saying, when you're saying that uh, when you are interested in something, you have like this, such as like a small window uh-huh. before like you lose that entrance interest, interest, and I was like, Oh man, I wonder if that's an air sign thing because i told, i I absolutely do that too. um for the listeners who don't know, Harvey and I are both air signs. Harvey, I think is a Gemini, right
1: i I am a Gemini sun. I have this cool fun situation where I'm a Gemini sun and then I have a a Pisces moon and a cancer rising, so I have double water, so uh-huh. I'm like just, I'm I'm tackling the idea of manifesting all of my dreamy intangible ideas. <laughs> like that's, that's my, I feel like that's my life path a little bit. It's like, how do I articulate, vocalize, and create in the world the ineffable
0: shit
1: floating around in my brain?
0: <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah,
1: I have that very same, I have that exact problem where it's like, I, I have a window of time where I can either do it or I won't do it. And so many times that's happened with projects that I've thought about doing with tarot too. Like, I'll be like, Oh, this spread would be so cool. I could offer it on my site and I take pictures and then like, I don't edit them right away. And then I'm like, what was I doing? That wasn't a great idea. And
0: like, <laughs> oh gosh. I feel that so hard. Like uh, f- for me, it's, it's that, um, I-, I get interested in things and I get really interested in them. And then usually I just like pursue, like pursue them immediately, drop everything else that I'm working on, which is not, usually a a great thing to do for follow through start chasing this other thing I'm interested in. And then like, you know, pretty quickly get distracted by something else or bored or bored by that. And then I leave it like I either like follow it through till the end or I just like, I don't know. Yeah. Just like lose it somewhere along the way. Just like drop the thread. (laughs) Um, And I was, I I don't know. I, I'm an, I'm an Aquarius sun and Gemini moon. So I'm double air. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. And then Scorpio rising. Um, so have a little bit of water in there.
1: My mom is an Aquarius sun, Scorpio rising. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. We thought for the longest time that she was a Sagittarius rising and we made jokes about like, um, her like silent road rage and about how like she wants to know where she's going. And then like we reanalyzed her birth chart and we were like, wait a second, that time is wrong. And we were like, oh no, you're a Scorpio rising, no, <laughs> all wrong the whole time. Which um, a f- was a fun little thing. And now she now she does this fun thing, and this may be kind of lost to the audio medium. But she does thing where when she gets, um, she feels she's getting a little bit like Scorpio-y, like a little bit like riled up or like dark and mysterious. She'll like bring her fingers up like a scorpion yeah. tail behind her head, <laughs> and it's like this fun. And I'm like you know, whatever floods
0: your boat. I, can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think that's as a Scorpio rising. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I retaliate
1: with crab claws I'm cancer rising. Oh, so. that's
0: perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, Oh, I want to talk about your deck, Harvey. You mentioned that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, so Harvey, um, have you announced the name of, of your deck yet?
1: I have not, and I'm announcing it here.
0: Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that was my
1: plan because I literally—I think you're one of two people that I've told about it.
0: Oh my um, god! But I,
1: this is this is where I'm announcing it.
0: <laughs> That's so exciting. Well, do you wanna do you wanna tell us about it?
1: I do wanna start. I wanna start at the beginning and work okay. my way up to the naming because I feel okay. like the history is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said previously, it was about like a year maybe a little over a year into like learning tarot that I um, came to the decision that I wanted to do my own deck, even if it was just for my own purposes. Um, At the time, like I was saying, I was really like physically isolated from other queer people and like in the process of learning tarot and connecting with resources, the very few resources out there that were like, like queer centric tarot people or resources. I was just coming to the conclusion that like, there's not a lot of queer decks and some of the like very beautiful, very well-made queer decks out there, I was either not seeing or I saw, but they just weren't my thing. And I was thinking like, it's such a shame that there's like three, like Mm -hmm. where are the queer tarot decks? Um, And I was just having this feeling like I could make my own, like I knew that I could illustrate it. But again, I was thinking to myself, I was like, if I take on this project where i do these incredibly detailed illustrations and like really focus on each individual card for like days and weeks and months i'm not going to finish a deck like i'm just going to run out of steam for it and so i was like well i can either do that thing and not have a deck or i can barrel through it and have a deck and so i sat down with the intention to make a deck that basically stripped away like gendered um, unnecessarily gendered things about the imagery in the tarot, um, and I finished the deck in what I'm guessing was about three or four days. I just sat down, wow. doing nothing else, and illustrated on the computer all of these really simple, like white line work images on black backgrounds. Um, and in the process, like, kind of came to the conclusion that like the there are there are a lot of decks out there that are really beautiful and detailed and have a bunch of very like prominent representation, very like obvious representation of different groups of people. And like, I love, I love that. But one, I didn't have the stamina for it. And two, I thought like, wouldn't it be interesting to make a deck that is simple enough that it conveys the archetypes, but anybody can sort of paint their narrative on it. Like it's a canvas for whatever your particular narrative is and nothing about it is going to to distract you from that narrative. Like you're not gonna be like, wow, everyone in this deck is straight. That's distracting me from my personal narrative. It's just the archetypes. Um, So obviously since that point, like I have learned a lot, but I still think that there's kind of an incredible magic to that original deck. I sent those images into like a playing card deck making company and got a deck, one deck, there's only one deck of it that exists. and like I've been working with it on and off ever since and sort of like as I've been learning things about like my perception of the court cards and you know the major arcana and, and gender and sexuality and tarot, I've learned a lot of things that I plan to do differently as I like explore the revision of that deck because my intention is to basically go in and heavily revise it, but, but stay true to that, that idea of like simple minimalist canvas like imagery that that people can paint their narrative on so to speak Um, and recently it kind of came to me that like tarot tends to be a tool in a lot of ways for self-growth for self-exploration for conversations you know about archetypes and social issues and all these things it it really is like a tool um, for that kind of work and i thought like what an interesting tool it would be to create I hesitate to call it a a beginner's deck because I don't want to elicit the idea that I spoke about earlier where you've got like this really like simplified, like the sun means happy. And there's like a book that comes with it with all these bullet points. Like I don't want to elicit that imagery. Um, But I thought like by stripping all of that stuff away, you create a tool that works in two ways. The first way is for queer people who are trying to learn tarot, they can learn tarot from a deck that is not going to immediately bombard them with a bunch of
0: mm-hmm. sort
1: of real archetypes mixed with gendered bullshit, mm-hmm. heteronormativity, stuff like that, that they're going to have to unlearn later, that inevitably will impact their view of the tarot as they have to like move through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second way it would work is for somebody who was indoctrined, sort of into that like gendered way and, and may not have, living experience as a queer person to combat that and, like, may not be thinking about that, the deck serves as a really refreshing tool for unlearning it themselves. And, like, by reading with a deck that's stripped that away, you're sort of forced to look at why you have those opinions about the cards to begin with and where those come from, because it's not from the root of the archetype, it's from, spoiler alert, like, society, like, patriarchy like it's from those places um and like by virtue of that a lot of the places that people learn tarot from are sort of infected with that like cis normative heteronormative patriarchal racist like that's there beautiful to create like a a deck that works at that intersection of those two ideas and brings people together in that space to do that work um and so that combined with a sort of like minimalist imagery and this idea of, of stripping everything down to like basic lines, um, I have chosen to call it the crux tarot.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here applauding.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, I think of it as like a deck at an intersection. Um, it's, it's beautiful in design and in intention. It's very simple, but it is a tool for that work. The, the complexity comes from the work one is doing inside with the deck. Um, And the other part of that is that crux, while meaning like intersection and and cross and like, you know, that type of, it elicits that type of thought. It's also a reference to a particular point of difficulty. Um, And so it points to the idea that like, this is where that hard work happens. It's like when you take that step and you're reading with a deck that's not giving you like, the easy answers of, like, gender and and sexual, like, stereotyping that you're used to, that's where that work begins, is, like, how do I take these images and, like, work from that and work from basic archetypes instead of what a lot of people are doing, which is, like, gendered, stereotypical kind of stuff that's out there.
0: They're just going with what they they know or what they've been taught right. and they're not questioning it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also think when I think of the word crux, I also think of crossroads. Um, mm-hmm. So like I, I think that also fits with um, especially with the idea of um, coming to tarot, maybe for the people who already have been working with it and like mm-hmm. coming to this point of like, whether they're queer or not queer, having that realization that like, oh shit, like. Right, <laughs> I've been, right. Yeah, I've been like indoctrinated in this for so long and maybe this isn't what like the world is actually like. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. male and female, masculine and feminine, you know.
1: Right, and like I, I have big plans for it because the thing is, like I said, like I, I'm not trying to like reinvent the wheel and like tear apart tarot and, and, and stuff, but like I do have, intention to go through and basically accompany the traditional name of each major arcana card with a different name Mm -hmm. so i know that i've talked about this they're actually like some of them are my uh my tiers on on patreon but like for instance like the magician is the conjurer and um the empress is the creator and the emperor is the preserver so it's like you're taking away that gendered connotation And in some cases, even when it doesn't deal with gender, it's just about displaying sort of like a a reduced and compressed version of that idea. So my goal is when you look at the card, even if you don't know anything about tarot, you can kind of immediately get an understanding of what that card is trying to talk about. If you see the emperor and you see the emperor, you might not have context for that. You may be like, okay, so it's like a king, like if you see the preserver, you immediately get the sense of like structure and things staying like stagnant but secure and like what that feels like. So I'm playing around with that a lot. And I have like a tentative list of like all of the names. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about seeing exactly how that manifests because it's 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 really important to me to explore that idea of like how we can make that intersection. Mm-hmm. Because I think it also creates an opportunity for like people who have been sort of like practicing the old ways of tarot and people who are coming into it fresh minded to have conversations and likewise allies and queer people to have conversations mm-hmm. about what it means to be inclusive with tarot. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And how are you doing? Uh, how are you, how are you doing the court cards in your deck?
1: That is an interesting conversation. So when <laughs> I, when I first, um, when I first did the deck, um, I was sort of seeing the queens and the kings as like the most accomplished people in the suit that they belong to. And I saw it as very hierarchical because I think that's the way that a lot of people are taught to read with it. Um, And so I had this thought, like, I don't understand why, why the kings and queens are two different cards. I was sort of frustrated with it because I was like, if it, if it is hierarchical, if these two cards are meant to represent the highest part of the suit what reasoning do you have to split them along that gender line and I started asking myself and other people explain to me the difference between the queens and the kings without being sexist Mm. and the answers I were getting were either sexist or non-existent Um, (laughs) and I say that with the sort of clause that a lot of decks that do really well with the court cards um in a four court card system where you have like Hypothetical queens and kings will rename them. Like, for instance, lately I've been thinking a lot about like the slow holler tarot, and they use visionaries and architects. That's great. They're not queens and kings anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Because they've
1: broken that hierarchical system, they're a new, I would argue, like more inclusive system. It's not the same thing as saying queens and kings. Because Mm -hmm. when you boil it down, like when you look at any sort of uh conversation around the queens and the kings. Uh, on any sort of, you know, site that that has information about the cards or from any, from a lot of tarot readers, um, what you get is the Queen's are motherly and mm-hmm. they're nurturing. Uh, yeah, nurturing and and all of that and then the kings are powerful and, and intellectual and it's like those are all things that we associate with a gender binary mm-hmm. what about the cards is different like I was so frustrated with that um <laughs> and so like when I created that deck I had this idea like why not create what could arguably be a fifth court card and call it the monarch, which would mm. be a gender-neutral version of those two cards, um, or a gender-full version, whatever. It, however it made sense to whoever was reading with it, and then you had the option of either leaving them all in, or taking the monarchs out, or taking the queens and kings out, and you could read with it any way you wanted to read with it. Um, what I eventually found was I was reading with it with all of them in, because mm. what became interesting was, why am I getting the monarch instead of the king, or the king instead of the monarch, or the queen instead of the monarch, like, yeah. why am I getting gender neutral instead of gendered? Like, what does that tell me about it? Um, because I still think that there's virtue to gender in terror, like, like taking gender completely out of the equation negates like gender euphoria and like the idea of like, you know, some people's narratives about gender in nature and gender in the divine and all of that. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily like the most helpful thing to just ignore it.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I've been reading with it like that for a while. And this is sort of an example of a way that I feel like my perspective has changed since I created the deck Um, because I'm currently sort of debating between that system and a system that sort of follows the slow holler type of system where it's non hierarchical and this is super inspired by I just did um, the the city which is querying the tarot court card workshop and I like downloaded it and like worked through it like segments at a time. I've been going through it for like weeks and it's been blowing my mind. Like it's just been teaching me so much about like how to read them non without, without hierarchy. Um, but prior to doing that, I even semi-recently had started using the, uh, the term roll cards instead of court cards when I was describing people because Mm -hmm. I was like, I think that it's much, much more interesting and much, much more constructive to move through, um, explanations of the court cards when you're focused on how our roles and how our like rightful places, so to speak, at any given moment in any given suit interact with each other instead of like I'm a page, which means I don't know how to do this yet. So I have to Mm -hmm. explore it and eventually I'll become a king or if I'm a woman, I'll stop at queen because apparently that's (laughs) like, I think that that's a very like dry and, um, restricting way to look at it but i think that there's benefits to both the idea of like a linear progression through mastering something and also looking at roll cards so i'm currently sort of torn between the idea of like what feels better whether it's to do something that's very uh role related or very um progression related Mm -hmm. but but that's where i'm sitting now is um sort of at that crossroads. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I love the idea of the monarch card and also of, of like you were saying, um, the, the question that, that arises as to like, why am I getting the monarch instead of the queen or vice versa? Um, that's super interesting. Um, but I also wanted to say like what you were saying about, um, seeing the court cards as roles. Um, that's how I, that's how I see them as well. I think mm-hmm. of them as modes, modes of being, um, mm-hmm. at least that, and that's how I teach them as well as like, um, personifications of the energy of their suit. Um, so not in like a hierarchical way of like, um, sort of a pro- progress of mastering the suit, but just as like different ways of expressing that energy, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's fire or water or air or whatever. Um,
1: I think that's also, like, very helpful when thinking about the elements as they're related to the different court cards. Mm -hmm. Um, And recently I've been having, like, a crisis about that because I realized, like, I had previously knights were related to wands and that kings were related to swords. And Mm -hmm. then I watched the workshop with uh, City Witch and they did it the other way. And that, like, made me think a lot about that. But, like... Ignoring that for a second, looking at something that is controversial, like the pages being related to pentacles, like, you know, if you are looking at that interaction between elements, I think it also speaks to like, how, how you are interacting with the suit. And I think that that even opens like, conversations around like, especially related to like, astrology, like, Mm -hmm. if you are an air heavy person who like moves the world very air like, and you're in a very watery like situation, would you be the, you know, the king of cups where you're like a, uh, an air related person trying to interact with the cups, which are mm-hmm. water, like it, that sparked all these ideas for me, like how we can look at those um, court cards as a representation of like interacting with the suit. And, yeah. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, and see, and, and what you just did there was associating the king with air instead of the king mm-hmm. with fire. Um and, Which is
1: my, like, I think that's where I'm going to land. I think that's my right. personal, like, perception of it. But, like, no shade on anybody who doesn't think of it right. that
0: way. Well, but, and, like, that's, I've been going through a similar sort of uh, uh, questioning period because I, like, the the zines that I wrote and, like, how I te- have taught tarot is that kings are fire and knights are air. But then in a Patreon reading I was doing like a couple months ago, I just totally accidentally reversed them. And it was with King of Cups. Um, I was talking about King of Cups and uh, Queen of Swords um, as sort of like uh, corollaries or opposite sides of the same coin, because one is air working with water and one is water working with air. That is literally
1: (laughs) the exact thing that Remember when I messaged you earlier about the epiphany I was having? Yeah. I was last night pairing up the court cards, like, wait a second, this one is a flip of this one. So like what does that talk about with like how they interact with each other and like how like if you're in this situation, like should you be seeking that other card or that other energy as like an ally in your journey? Like I was so blown away by uh-huh. that. Yes. Um, but it's nice to know that somebody else is also having those thoughts about it because oh, I was
0: absolutely. like
1: having a, a hermit like manic state looking through my tarot cards, like that famous meme image of the guy, like pinning up all this stuff and like connecting it on a wall. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But I,
0: do. That, that, I that's,
1: do. That's how I feel. Like sometimes with tarot is like, I, I've got it. I've got it. Like yeah, this, yeah. This Happening right now.
0: Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. And, and that's something like ever since then I was like, well, no, I kind of, I kind of stand by that. Like maybe I think that Kings are air and, then it's just like thrown me for a loop. And now I don't know what I believe. Um, but yeah, (laughs) and I had like posted on Patreon and stuff before I even realized that. And then I was like, oh wow, I totally contradicted myself. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Anyway, (laughs) it happens. Our relationships with tarot evolve. Um, so yeah. And I, I do think that that's a really resonant way to look at the court cards, um, in, in that sort of pairing. And I, I want to investigate that more. That's so cool that you had that epiphany.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. And like all of this stuff is feeding into what I want to do with the court cards in my deck. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, like I said, like, since I made that deck, I've done so much looking into as far as like how like gender stereotyping, like piggybacks on the archetypes Mm -hmm. and like comes in to our tarot practices. Um, and I talked a lot, like, when I first did my gender and tarot workshop about, like, what I called contradicting cards, which were, like, Queen of Swords and King of Cups. These ideas were, like, the gender associations we have for that particular gender contradict the suit associations we have. So, mm-hmm. like, the Queen of Swords has been so, like, it has been following me around forever. And it's, like, we have this very clear, like, feminine reference with the imagery in, like, at least a traditional Rider Waite-Smith deck. Um, but many, many decks. Um, And so we're kind of forced to think about, like, feminine air quotations ideas about, like, that type of person, and then connect it to a suit that is very much about, like, harshness and action. And those things don't have to be mutually exclusive, but, like, I I find that sometimes those cards are difficult for people because of those, like, contradicting air quotations ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the process of, like, writing up, like, I made, like, a workshop booklet um and that was part of it but I did this research and like I said like in a very like pinning things to the wall kind of way I like laid out all my cards and I was like I'm dividing them up all into the suits and just the suit cards not the court not the major arcana just the suits and I'm like this is my rider weight smith deck and I was like I'm gonna count how many of these people are presumably male and presumably female on the cards and just get some percentages and <laughs> I had here, wait, I have it here, the actual numbers, because it's, it's <laughs> and it's worth, it's worth finding the numbers for. Um, yikes, yeah, I cut this weird Yeah, no. Yeah. Scrolling through everything for a minute. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, okay, so I have it. <laughs> okay, so the numbers that I got, I went through and counted these all and calculated, like, what percentages, and, like, I, I found that 72% of the people in the swords... 75% of the people in the pentacles and 92%, literally all but one person in the wands were male, presumably male by the way that they're presenting them on the card. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away. And I want to do a little interactive thing with you. How, how, what do you think the percentage was for the Cups?
0: Oh, for, for women presenting figures? Yeah. like Is w- it, is, men. is it, is it uh, cheating if I try to go through them all in my head and
1: I mean, you can off. do that if you want, but like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I would
0: think it would be a higher percentage than the other suits. It was 50
1: um, 50.
0: It's 50 50? Well, that is and, higher than the other ones, right?
1: Yeah. And, and what it reminded me of was, and I don't know if this is real, I don't have any, like, I can't like, point to the study, but I've heard about that study where they like, took people and had them look at groups of people. And they would have like a group of people that was 50% women and 50% men. And they would say how, like, what is the percentage? And people would time and time again, say that there were more women than men because they're just oh. used to looking at crowds that have more men than women. Oh, because that has become like the norm. And same thing. I believe with like racial minorities air quotations, like mm-hmm. having people of color in an audience and like people would be like, Oh, well there's, there's way more than half. And it's like, there's really just half. It's just, they're not used to seeing diversity. Um, yeah. and what that made me think of was like this subconsciously directs like the stuff we're exposed to and the stuff we're looking at all the time, especially within tarot is directing our sense of what's normal and what makes sense. And so it's like, if you pick up a deck that has a 50 50 split between like feminine and masculine presenting people and take that to mean what you take it to mean, because I'm being very like, I'm reducing it way down here. Like there's a lot of complexity with gender, but I just thought this was an interesting experiment because it's, it's reasonable to assume that the people that I would, think our men in the tarot are meant to be cisgender men based on mm-hmm. like the time it was made and, and the people who made it. But yeah. but my my argument still stands that like if you had diversity in a tarot deck, people will notice it because they're so used to looking at things that aren't diverse. And so like thinking about gender and tarot in that way, like it 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 infuriated and it made me so mad, but it like it gave me so much passion about it because I was like, these are things that nobody's thinking about. Like nobody's talking about this. I've never, ever heard somebody look through the cards and say like, th- this is exactly how many men are in the, and for the record, <laughs> in the wands. There's one woman or, or presumably one woman on the four of wands. Oh yeah. Which is like the most tame, chill wands yeah. part. And I'm just and it's like, also
0: what far in the background. Right, right. Like yeah. <laughs>
1: you can only assume. And I was just like, well, what does this say about like what, we are preaching through the imagery of tarot about who can access pleasure, who can access growth, who can access travel and education and all of the various things you could associate with the wands. And same thing with like swords and pentacles, because those are still like more men than women in that ratio. But like, especially with the wands where it's so male heavy. And so I was just so blown away by that, but that like, that was one of those things that I, I worked through with, um, with the decks since the creation of my deck to now where I was like really learning a lot about like where all of that stuff is hiding in plain sight, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah. And even with like, even with, uh, there being 50, 50, uh, in the, uh, in the cups, I could see that being uh sort of a weird turnoff for some like, you know, cis men who look at that and then think that that's like, have been conditioned to think that that's not for them, you know? Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I can't believe well maybe somebody else has broken down those numbers, but I hadn't read it yet. So, thank you for doing that. <laughs>
1: right. Like I and, and I don't yeah, like I'm sure that somebody else had done that, but it was just like where is it? Like why is it not easier to find? Like that in and of, that in and of itself is a problem that like yeah. not out there right in your face.
0: Well, that's one of the things that I talk about in my classes is that um when at least in in the in like the weight Smith deck um which is the one that I use and the one that so many of us are familiar with. If there's a woman or a female presenting person in a card, it's only there like for a reason, like right. the, it's default, not the default. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> it's there for like some reason that is going to come down to sexism on some level, you know? Right. Yeah. The, the, the default is absolutely 100% male, which, you know, in some ways brings up interesting questions when you do have like uh like the nine of pentacles where there's like a you know female presenting person on that card mm-hmm. it's like well why is there <laughs> like it's so right. rare and odd that then mm-hmm. you it, it like it's another access point to you understanding that deck at least you know right. like, why are they putting that on this card mm-hmm. but yeah um I think that this, uh, segues nicely into talking about, so we're talking about like representation of masculine and feminine in the tarot deck. And there's also like, you know, these dual energies at play in tarot, um, that some people call masculine and feminine. Some people call, you know, light and dark or yin and yang, or, you know, et cetera. There's different terms for it. Um. Do you have a way that you think about those sort of dual energies that are at play um, that isn't masculine and feminine or one that you prefer?
1: Um, So I actually have an interesting anecdote about this, which is at the second time that I did that or held that workshop, um, I had a a woman come up to me uh, who was like, very interested in what I had said and like totally vibing with it. Like it made total sense to her, but she was stuck on this point of like, if I'm reading for a trans person and I tell them like I'm picking up on divine masculine or divine feminine in them, like I'm not saying they are masculine or feminine. I'm just, you know, like it's just a fact that we have both of these energies in us. And I was just like, Having, I was having this conversation with her and like, I was seeing where she was coming from, but what I just wanted to say was like, your understanding of divine masculine and feminine comes from your upbringing and the place where you were raised and society like, <laughs> like, yes, you, yes, duality exists. Yes, yes, the ideas of like things that complement or are opposite of each other exist. But like, sex is not binary. Gender is not binary. And I think a lot of the illusion we have around that surrounds growing up in a place, at least for me, like growing up in the United States, like I'm not very purposely, we're not exposed to other cultures that might like have very well-founded representations of like third genders or Mm -hmm. intersex people. Those things aren't static as two separate, like that that's not the case all of the time. And because it's not the case all the time, it can't be. The golden rule of how everything works Mm -hmm. um but so like having that interaction with her it was like I was that was kind of brought up to me because up until that point I had literally never thought about like I'd never I'd interacted with people and seen things that talked about divine masculine and feminine but had not ever used it in my practice simply because at that point and I guess I should have mentioned this earlier but like when I discovered tarot I was already out as queer as trans I already knew myself to not be binary Um, And I've only become more and more embracing of my non-binary status as I have (laughs) a tarot. So, like, I wasn't, like, ever really subscribed to that idea, per se. Um, But, you know, far be it from my, like, my opinion is not the opinion of everybody. And clearly, like, I... I can't tell somebody else what feels right or good like what what it's reminded me of is when you were talking about how like when you first discovered the idea of the goddess and the god was like that could be very liberating and then like maybe later when things were different for you it wasn't as liberating right and so like (laughs) I could totally see how like this idea of divine masculine and feminine could be liberating in a way but um I think that it just it never really (laughs) it never really stuck for me and um One of the things that it reminds me of is in 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which, thank you for that recommendation, (laughs) devouring that book slowly ever since I got out of surgery. Um, (laughs) But they immediately start out by talking about the tarot as, like, you have the magician and the high priestess, and that idea of duality is, like, repeated and transmuted and transformed throughout all of the rest of the major arcana and even in the minor arcana. You have these representations of duality and... Light and dark, or masculine and feminine, throughout the deck. Um, but one thing I kind of see subtextually preached a lot is that like it's not a continual harsh binary that like never intermingles. Um, and like immediately after that, we have you know the 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 Empress, right? Who I would consider to be a very directive, outward, active, creative force, but is feminine. Mm. And then after that, we would have the emperor who I would consider to be more of a stagnant, secure, like, like, uh, inward, like structural force, but is masculine. And so like immediately you have a subversion of that absolute archetype. And so it's like, I don't think that even in the tarot, there is that rigid masculine, feminine, masculine, uh, or divine masculine, divine feminine that we would, that we see a lot of people talk about within mm-hmm. the tarot. Like I think that it, it intermingles and even later on with cards like temperance and stuff like that. Um, But I did want to reference, like, I just like yesterday morning, listened to um, Anna Joy's most recent queer Witch podcast or mm-hmm. yes, about um, they talk a lot about that and, and their idea of how they view those. Oh really? Um, yeah. And they were talking about like how they view it as like, uh, active directed energy versus like receptive energy, and one thing that I really, really found insightful was they were saying like, you are you can take space or you can hold space,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so I was like within a like a activist or community based like ideology about this kind of stuff like that's so important like it's not masculine it's not feminine it's just about like are you taking up energy or taking up space or are you creating that for other people and you need both and you can't have yeah. one without the other and. That got me thinking about this whole idea of like, if, if individually as people, we are constantly holding space for other people and creating space for ourselves, um, or like one analogy I thought of, or I guess example would be like, if you are setting aside time and space to like meditate, you're creating space for yourself to take up space. Right. So it's like, we're always constantly doing both, whether it's for ourselves or for other people. And so I just thought like, you can't have one without the other. And you can't ever really be doing one thing at a time. So even though yes, you could talk about it in a binary, hypothetically, it's never not mixed together. And so I, I that's how I tend to think about it now, I think is that like, yes, duality exists, but that inherently exists on a spectrum because you can't have one without the other and they're always interacting with each other.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I need to listen to that episode of, of the queer witch podcast. Um, I, the words I use for it are, um, projective and receptive. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I used active and passive for a while, but the word passive annoys me because Mm -hmm. it has negative connotations. Um, so I think of it as projective and receptive which i think is quite similar to that um um mm-hmm. uh, yeah i so let me let me try to articulate this so i agree with everything you're saying about like um there really being no duality like no binary um right. essentially uh, but i think that and this is one of those sort of like you're talking about um, like manic hermit moments that you have. Like I had one of those like early this past summer where I was like all of a sudden I was like I understand what tarot's about. <laughs> <laughs> I was like it was it was like this it, almost like I like everything zoomed out and I could see like the whole universe and, mm-hmm. and that I promptly like lost all of that, uh, not all of it, but lost most of that epiphany and only have a little bit still existing. But um, my, so let me just throw this at you. My idea is that like, right, there is no binary. Um, Separateness, all separateness and division is uh, like a a construct. It's an illusion. It's, it's Mm -hmm. something that like we create as humans, but that isn't, necessary. you know, mm-hmm. um, And I think that my, my theory is that part of the whole purpose of the tarot is to take us from a place where at the beginning in the magician and the high priestess and the empress and the emperor, we have these visions of duality or binariness or separateness represented to ourselves, to, mm-hmm. to us. And then as we go along through the major arcana, we deconstruct that and we, we learn it in, like, the first seven cards, and then we unlearn it in the second right. seven. And then in the last seven, we, like, transcend that until we come to a place in the world card where yeah. it's all cohesive and all one. And we understand that none of that ever existed. Right. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I totally agree with that. And, like, that's absolutely the kind of thought I was having while I was working through, like, those first – fundamental parts of that 70 degrees of wisdom book because they talk about that how like the magician has a wand and the high priestess has pillars and mm-hmm. on the world the world dancer as they refer to them has two wands which are like pillars and like how that is both like active and passive or however you want to view that like it's it's a connection there. And as you were talking about that moving through it, I just realized like you have these pairs in the beginning like magician high priestess, mm-hmm. empress emperor. You have those like pairs of cards and then I would argue like when you get to the bottom line like star moon sun like you have these like trios and like odd connections that aren't so linear as like one and the other um but I absolutely do think about that and I think that that ties in a lot with like that structure that they talk about in that book of Mm -hmm. of the lines and how you move through them and how it you learn things and then you unlearn them and then you transcend them like that Mm -hmm. idea has like informed a lot of what I think about the cards as queer allies in relationship to like learning about the world, unlearning it. Yes. Like your innate, beautiful queer spirit and then like transcending it all with like truly embracing and expressing like non-binary presentation and existence and all of that.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can see that, that trajectory in my own life. Uh, Not sure if I'm which, which stage I'm in currently, but hopefully, hopefully past the first seven.
1: (laughs) Uh, Fingers crossed.
0: Yes. Uh, But um, yeah.
1: Well, I think like that idea of um, like gender being fluid and like our perceptions about people's genders and like to tarot, the idea of like how we perceive gender through the lens of like, sex related stereotypes um and which really boils down to to gender because sex of course is not the same thing as gender um but you know these stereotypes we have for archetypes of men and women both in tarot and outside of tarot Um, but like one of the things i i did when i was exploring that was and this is god this is no shade at bitty tarot because i feel nervous about talking about this because it makes it seem like i'm coming for bitty tarot but what i'm what i'm coming for is the system that generates this type of thinking across all platforms that, that very many young tarot readers use to learn tarot, which is problematic because then they learn these problematic things. Um, but I went to Biddy Tarot because that seems to be a very popular place and I know I used it when I was starting out. Um, and this was back in May, I did a, a word cloud experiment where I went to the page that described the queens and the page that described the kings and I copied and pasted the bodies of text on those pages into a word cloud and like had to manually omit like all the articles and like at and is and the and all those things. But I ran it through the word cloud generator um, just to like see, cause I was like, I have a hunch that the language we use to describe these two types of cards is going to tell me something about sexism. And it did. Um, so one of the first obvious things I found was that like the word others on the queen's word cloud was huge. Like it was the, like one of the most used words on that page more than two times the number of times it was used on the king's page. And I was just like, what does this say about like our archetype of femininity and, and women and femmes and, and they're like, like the expectations we have about how much, they need to give of themselves to other people, or how much they need to nourish other people, or care about other people's needs versus their own. Um, and then similarly, like I went to the the King's Word cloud, and immediately you've got situation and power and intellect, like these words about you know like control and, and intelligence and things like that. And then what struck me was the word love <laughs> didn't appear once in the descriptions of the Kings, whereas it appeared pretty frequently on the descriptions of the queens and I was just like what is again what does this say about our expectations of of king like figures like men or masculine people like are they not expected to care about others or to love others and like if you look at the archetype of of what an ideal king would be like would you not expect that a king would like love whatever he is ruling over or whatever like these are things that like contradict what we think we know I think about these archetypes where it's like it's it's right there in the language that we're using to, to describe it. And like, when I, when I posted these word clouds on Instagram, I like posted them and I had people like pick, like which one do you think is which? And most people guessed right uh, about, about the word clouds. And I, I posted after that, like, okay, why? Like what about those word clouds made you realize what they were? Cause this was before I had talked about like what I had pointed out. In them. Like you were just looking at the words and I was just like, it, if you can see those patterns, what are you doing to take that out of your tarot practice? Because if you can see the pattern, you know it exists in the language that we're all using to talk about tarot, myself included at that time. Like I was coming to realize this in the midst of using that kind of language to talk about tarot. So it was like, what does that tell us about our perceptions of gender, our perception of, by extent, heteronormative relationships, because we're talking about kings and queens kind of as a unit, um, in the way that they interact with each other. And like, what does that tell you about expectations of women and femme people in relationships versus masculine people and men? Like just a lot of like, it raises a lot of questions about that, but that was one of those things where I want to do more of that stuff in the future, like going onto sites and doing word clouds and polling people and and doing stuff like that to like say like, look at what people are talking, how people are talking about tarot and how people are interacting with tarot. And does that not inform our knowledge of the stereotypes that are present there and like the work we have to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like there's so many, like we could talk about things forever. Cause I had like five questions that came up in that, that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So, <laughs> but we have to draw a line somewhere. Um, right. um, yeah. Is there, is there anything else, Harvey, that you want to um, talk about or add before we wrap up? Um,
1: I guess I would just mention that, like, uh, as far as like kind of looping it back into like who I am and what I'm doing with tarot, um, that, like I said, I kind of have a hub of stuff going on, on my website, which again is harveyjamestarot.com. Um, and then I am doing stuff related to the crux tarot related to, um, like blog entries and spread ideas and stuff going on, on Patreon as well. Um, and then of course I'm on Instagram cause I forgot to mention that earlier, uh, HJ Tarot on Instagram, um, but yeah, so I'm I've got stuff dispersed through those places and um, big plans.
0: Yeah, big plans. do you have do you have any idea when uh, the Crux Tarot might be ready to get printed? Do you have any plans for that?
1: I wish I wish I had a better answer than <laughs> than I do, which is which is basically that uh, right now I'm I'm kind of in a pickle between doing tarot work, which is great, and finishing up a degree, which is great and also terrible to experience because <laughs> it's a lot of work, and then also having to work a day job. Um, and so the purpose, I guess, of that Patreon to tie it in is that like, by allowing people the opportunity to give me financial support, I can work on doing the Crux tarot and stuff like that more often because it's yeah. hours that I'm not having to like spend Uh, at a different job so so it really is about time so right now I'm looking at like devoting a lot more time to it once my semester is over at school but I also have to do other work as well so it really is just dependent on where the the tides of um financial security take me
0: (laughs) yes yep (laughs) I hear that um well, great. Thank you so much, Harvey, for being here. And that Patreon was patreon.com slash HK Tarot, yeah. H-J-Tarot. yeah. Um, amazing. And we'll also have that linked in the show notes at the bottom, um, along with your website and your Instagram. Um, so y'all, are, can, y'all can all go support Harvey and the Crux Tarot. Yay. Um, yay. Okay. Thank you so much for being here and talking to me today, Harvey.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. Like I said, I'm I'm so excited to be a part of this. It's 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 of course it's in its infancy, right? Like there's only been a couple episodes at this point, but like <laughs> I've I've been like so excited about it before its um, creation and then like the minute that I knew it was out, I was listening to it. Oh. I greatly enjoyed like the, the interview with uh, Jordan from Sincerely the Tarot. Like I'm so mm-hmm. like all of this stuff is is such great content. So yeah, I you. would I would then propose go be a patron of the <laughs> word witch podcast since you called people to be a patron of me earlier so everybody spread the love Yes, that's, that's my closest statement I guess
0: fuck, fuck capitalism yes crowdfunding yes. <laughs> <laughs> alright well on that note um, thanks again Harvey and thanks for listening and bye bye we're running in circles but we live with the lives we ourselves boxes when the air just fine we're digging down to the, to the sky we're always asking when but never why you've been listening to the word witch our theme music is counting rice by bitches in the beehive their album itty bitty spaces is out now the word witch is written produced and recorded by me claire burgess our logo is designed by me too Editing and tech support come from Danu Vino. You can follow The Word Witch on Instagram at the.word.witch. You can book tarot readings, find out about upcoming classes, and join our newsletter at thewordwitchtarot.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash thewordwitchtarot. For as little as one dollar, you'll receive collective tarot readings, tarot and astro content, downloads of my zines, and podcast outtakes and extras. Plus, you'll help make this podcast possible and help support a working witch. If you have a question for The Word Witch, email us at thewordwitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time, stay magical. Trying to shoot the moon not everything we've got That's just a piece of spoon Ooh.